Before we start today's podcast, I want to offer my deepest condolences to the victims, their families, and the first responders involved in last night's tragic event in Thousand Oaks. I also want to read a statement from the Chargers. We are deeply saddened by the terrible news coming out of Thousand Oaks this morning. Our hearts are with the victims and their loved ones during this horrific tragedy, and we honor the brave and heroic actions of first responders who rushed to the scene to help. Hey everybody, Chris Harry with you on a Week 10 edition of Chargers Weekly. we got a great episode ahead. A bit later, NFL Network's Omar Ruiz joins me to discuss the Chargers as they enter the back half of the season. Radio analyst Daniel Jeremiah gives you his key to a six-straight win for the Bolts in Oakland. Yahoo Sports' Matt Harmon closes the show with some Week 10 fantasy advice. But first, senior analyst Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus joins me and shares some eye-popping numbers relating to Phillip Rivers that you may not know. All right, now on the line is PFF senior analyst Steve Palazzolo here on Chargers Weekly. And Steve, it's been a while, man. I really appreciate you joining us here at the halfway point. Hard to believe. I know. The season's flying, and uh, hey, the Chargers are looking pretty good, so looking forward to uh, discussing and breaking them down. Yeah, man, 6-2. and two, They've won their last five, and I think the obvious starting point is Phillip Rivers, who PFF has as the highest-graded Charger, I believe, at the halfway point. 19 touchdowns, three interceptions, probably having his best year of his career, Steve. Yeah, he is. Actually, our um, our QB guru, Zach Robinson, just did a, a video on our YouTube page, you know, asking that question, is this Phillip Rivers' best year? And, and I think it's, you know, if not the best, it's certainly up there. And, uh, you know, a lot of times at PFF, we love to bring the context to the table, you know, do those stats, you know, really match up with actual performance. And with Rivers, this year, absolutely, it does. I mean, you know, gaudy stats, 116.5, passer rating the 19 to 3 ratio that you mentioned, but he actually, you know, hasn't had a ton of turnover-worthy plays. That's a legitimate interception number, only three, uh, 9.1 yards per attempt, and he's our, our number four graded quarterback overall behind Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, and, and Jared Goff by just, uh, just by uh, a little bit. So I think Rivers has been fantastic, making good decisions, getting the ball down the field, and uh, his numbers off play action and under pressure have just been absolutely incredible. His uh, his passer rating under pressure, by far the number one, uh, the highest in the league, 112.7, mm. which is absolutely insane. Everybody gets worse under pressure, usually by a substantial margin. He hasn't so far this season. And then when using play action, I got to double check if it's still perfect, but it was perfect. 158.3. That still is 158.3 passer rating when using play action. So couple of those numbers that, that really stand out for Rivers so far. Can you put that in context, Steve, just, just how rare it is to have a perfect passer rating through the midway point on play action passes? And then just under pressure, like you said, most quarterbacks get worse. Phillip is getting better, and, and really he's not pressured a ton. I mean, I think he has, the Chargers have allowed 10 sacks this year, which isn't a ton right now. I think it's in the bottom three of the league. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely been a much better offensive line performance. It, it, so the funny thing about Rivers, he's actually been pressured right around league average overall. Okay. But he has one of the lowest sack rates when he's been pressured. So, again, I think that just speaks to his ability right now, getting rid of the ball, making throws under pressure. Uh, and it's extremely rare to have a perfect passer rating when using play action. Um, so both encouraging things. I will say, though, just to 
put a little damper, you know, on this thing for, for Chargers fans. Those two numbers are two of the more unstable metrics that we have under mm. pressure and then play action. So he should probably regress back down to earth at some point, uh, you know, in those two numbers. But uh, again, it doesn't take away from the fantastic season that he's having. Well, you know, Steve, it's not just Phillip, too. I mean, the season that Melvin Gordon is having, too, I think you look back to last year, his first seven games, 622 yards from scrimmage, seven touchdowns. This year, in his first seven games, 868 yards from scrimmage, 10 touchdowns, his yards per carry way up. And I think it's no coincidence, you bring in a guy like Mike Pouncey, he's going to make everything better, not only in, in the passing game, but the running game as well. Yeah, I mean, Gordon's been absolutely fantastic. He has our, our number two rushing grade in the NFL. And then when you put the put the sample size up high enough, he's number one. So I think he's been fantastic running the ball, about 3.2 yards after contact per rush. That's why he's got that 5.4 yards per attempt this year. Uh, forced 27 missed tackles on only 107 attempts. So he's doing a really good job, you know, you know using the offensive line, but also working independent of them as well. Um, I almost got laughed off Twitter this week when I said Melvin Gordon's as good as Todd Gurley, but um, I, I think there's this some truth to it. I was, yeah, I mean he is. I mean everything is about the same. And the thing about running backs is they are really so dependent on their supporting cast when it comes to the actual rushing of the football. And then from a receiving standpoint, a lot of times it's just opportunity driven and uh, volume driven. And Gordon's been really good as a receiver as well. So um, he is right there up with Todd Gurley and some of the other top backs in the league and uh, looking fantastic this season. I think this has fallen off a little bit, but the first three or four games of the year, both Gordon and Eckler, they were on that historic Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram pace uh, with, with touchdowns and yards from scrimmage. And, and it's not just Eckler in the backfield, Steve. It's these receivers. Keenan Allen, his touchdown production may be down, but he's doing a lot of dirty work. And then the Williams brothers, right? Ten touchdowns on 40 receptions is just so efficient. Basically, one time out of four is a touchdown for those guys. Yeah, it's really a, a great receiving core. And even you know, coming into the season, you're thinking, man, if they have those guys and they have Hunter Henry, they're extremely da- dangerous. But even without Henry at, at tight end, uh, you know, they all can bring something different to the table. Keenan Allen, you know, one of the best pure route runners in the NFL, just incredible quickness and ability to get off the line. So he's catching 77% of his targets. And then Tyrell, Tyrell Williams being the deep threat, but still catching 76% of his targets and averaging 20 and a half yards per, car- per catch. That's absolutely incredible. So the Chargers doing a great job of using those guys to their strengths. And then Mike Williams, you know, finally finding his way and, uh, you know, being able to draw, you know, catch the ball down the field and, uh, you know, catch, you know, passes in contested situations. It really is this nice mix of receivers that uh, the Chargers are figuring out the best way to use. We'll flip it over to the defense. And last year, Casey Hayward and Trevor Williams consistently in the top 10 in terms of uh, highest-graded cornerbacks. And now Desmond King has taken that torch. 90.4 is his grade. He's the highest-rated cornerback, according to PFF. And he's had a heck of a last few weeks when you talk about the way he's, he's performing in the punt return game, but also just that pick six last week against the Seahawks in Seattle. Yeah, great pick six by him, uh, you know, just working the underneath coverage. And I think that that's really been his strength since coming into the league the last couple of years. Uh, we liked him a ton coming out of Iowa, always graded well in our system, saw him as a much better player than just a, uh, than just a fifth-round pick. He's made us look uh, pretty smart so far, and I love the fit for the Chargers system. The pick six was just a great example of what he can do. Playing corners, not just about you know, man coverage and one-on-one all the time. It's playing zone. It's, 
it's tackling, it's all these different things added up into one. And this year he's been uh, excellent at making plays on the ball. He's got four pass breakups to go with his three interceptions. Uh, always seems to be in the right position. His tackling's actually taken a bit of a step back since uh, his, you know, his work in Iowa, where he almost never missed any tackles. But you know, Desmond King's been fantastic since coming into the league, and it's nice to see that that level of production from a guy drafted uh, so far down the line. There seems to be a guy each week, really, for the Chargers that that steps up defensively. You talk about Adrian Phillips in Tennessee. You know, Darwin James has been pretty consistent all year long. I think he remains the highest-graded rookie at 83.6. And taking it a step further, 17 defensive stops, 12 quarterback pressures, and he was all over the field last week in Seattle with 11 tackles. Man, I love Derwin James. I mean, we we had him as a top ten player in the draft. Thought the Chargers got a steal. Steve, you and I talked about him at the combine. Yeah. We talked about him at the combine, and you were very, very high on Derwin. Yeah, nothing has changed in that in that respect. <laughs> he had the highest college safety grade that we gave out in 2015 and in 2017. So as a true freshman, best safety in the nation, and then as a junior last year, best safety in the nation. Um, and it's because. Florida State used him all over the field, and it's good to see the Chargers. You know, you see him making plays all over the field. He's in the box. You mentioned those 17 stops. That's making tackles in and around the line of scrimmage. I made a joke before the draft that he's the best, that he's a better pass rusher than Bradley Chubb. Um, only half joking there. I mean, I honestly think Derwin's skilled enough if you made him a pure edge defender that he would get after the quarterback, and I think that's what makes him so dangerous. He's only rushed the passer 36 times, but has four sacks and a couple hits, and he's got a bunch of hurries. So he really is just this playmaker that you could put all over the field. We've seen him make a few plays on the back end and just absolutely love the versatility that he brings to a defense. And uh, he's certainly lived up to the hype so far. Well, just to further that point about being a pass rusher, he gets one more sack. He'll have the most sacks by a defensive back rookie in league history if he gets a sack against the Raiders, who have given up a lot of sacks recently. So we'll see what happens with Derwin on Sunday. When Joey Bosa does come back whenever he does come back how much better do you think this defense can be in just kind of elevating their play around another all pro oh, I think it's a it's a huge addition for them I mean you've got you know him and Ingram with the top two uh, you know edge defenders last year as far as total pressures go Ingram still having a good year but not a great year he was not nearly as good as he was last year he has 34 total pressures but really nobody's even close on that defensive line uh, nobody has really even come close to, to matching Bosa's production. So assuming he comes back and healthy and you know producing at the level that we expect, a good Chargers defense gets even better because him and Ingram coming off the edge um, are just really too much to stop. And then again, you add in the movable chess piece that Derwin James can become, and you know what Desmond King and Casey Hayward are able to do on the back end playmakers at every level and uh, yeah definitely a scary Chargers defense down the stretch. Steve we'll get you out of here on this based on everything you saw from this Chargers team through the first eight weeks nine weeks can they sustain this the landscape of the AFC we know the usual suspects there with Kansas City Pittsburgh New England and company Um, where do you see the Chargers fitting in here towards the back half of the year? This feels like a trick question because the Chargers are supposed to blow it every time somebody believes in them, right? Like I'm, I believe, I've believed them the last couple of years and they continue to let you down. But, but on paper, absolutely. I mean, they're right in the mix. Have to get over that hump against Kansas City and playing in Kansas City one, you know, one more time. That's going to be a challenge. But I think they absolutely should be right in the mix. And if things just play out the way they are right now, Kansas City's unbelievable. New England probably gets a bye. If the Chargers have to go on the road, to play, say, a, a Texans team or a Steelers or Bengals team in, in a first-round playoff game, 
I don't know that they're necessarily the favorite in that game, but I wouldn't be surprised if they win. You go to Kansas City, go to New England. It is a tough game. I really think the Chargers have a legitimate shot in the AFC this year, assuming you know the defense comes together as we're expecting with Bosa, with the addition of Bosa and the, the play on the back end. And if Phillip Rivers can just keep it up, it always comes down to quarterback play. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't slow down at all, the Chargers are as dangerous as any of those other teams in the AFC. Steve Palazzolo, Pro Football Focus. Steve, awesome stuff. We eat this stuff up each and every week, man. We, we really appreciate your work and really appreciate your time today. Yep, you got it anytime. All right, before we get to Daniel Jeremiah, a quick break to let you know that this season we've taken Chargers Weekly to the next level. That's because I'm using Bose QuietComfort 35 Headphones 2 on air now. The powerful noise-canceling technology helps me black out distractions and brings you the latest news on the Los Angeles Chargers. And when I'm not recording, I tell you every week, these are my go-to wireless headphones. They help me black out noise. I'll use them on the team plane this weekend in Oakland so I can concentrate on my game prep and, of course, bring you that next episode of Chargers Weekly. Visit Bose.com Chargers to learn more about the most powerful Bose headphones yet. Bose, the official headphones of the NFL. All right, welcome back to Chargers Weekly here with Daniel Jeremiah and DJ, five in a row, Seattle. Yeah. What a win. Look, it's not an easy place to go up there and win. I mean, that number's out there. Russell Wilson hadn't lost to an AFC team at home in his career. So it's going back to 2011 since an AFC team has gone up there and won. It's a tough environment. I know the uh, the talent might not be at the level it was during their Super Bowl years, but that's still a good football team that was that was hot coming into that game. And not only did they go in there into that environment, they were able to uh, withstand an early an early assault there by the, the Seahawks going right down the field, uh, running it down their throats, and then you get the uh, the kickoff to follow that inside your five-yard line. So mm. it, it was set up to be a disaster afternoon for the Chargers. And then, lo and behold, Keenan Allen first play, 28 yards, a little run there, and then uh, and they never look back. I know the Seahawks have been down a little bit the last two years, but 39-11, and 11, that's Russell Wilson's record in Seattle. Yeah, 11-3 and three in November, and, and those three losses were all decided by a, a score or less. Uh, so regardless of what year it is it's always tough to win to Seattle and one of the things I was talking to you about a little bit earlier was just how they almost were, were galvanized by the crowd they were jumping yeah. up and down in unison they were dancing the yeah, yeah they were yeah. dancing when the crowd was getting fired up you had the Seahawks uh, players dancing and getting fired up and then the Chargers fans the Charger players doing the same exact thing so I think they kind of use a lot of that energy and embrace uh, maybe that villain role of being on the road and look this has been this has been a little bit of a, a road trip it feels like you're in the NBA or, or in uh, Major League Baseball here yeah. you go to Cleveland then to London now up to the to uh, the Pacific Northwest and and next off to the Bay Area. So um, it's something I think this team is very close. Uh, being in that locker room after the game, it, there was definitely a sense of accomplishment. It was not just another win. They knew how difficult it was to go in there and get a win. And really with some with some kicks, if some kicks go through, you're looking at probably like a 31-10 to 10 game at one point in time mm. there in the fourth quarter. So uh, it was impressive. Desmond King, what can you say about that guy? AFC Player oh, yeah. of the Week. Pick six, really this road trip, he's done a lot. I look back to Cleveland, two interceptions, that punt return, done a lot to get this team some Ws. He's been outstanding, and to me it's um, the instincts that he plays with. He's just so smart. He's always in the right spot. You know, I joked with him after the game about the one he dropped, uh, which doesn't happen often. He dropped an interception, which I think would have been a pick six in the first half. He wasn't about to make that mistake again no, 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 in the no. second half and cash that one in, although it was a tight foot race with him and Russell Wilson to the end zone. <laughs> yes, it was. But, uh, but he got there, and uh, he's, he's, he's just a, a good football player. You know, he's not going to win in the Olympics. If you have a, a test out there and you're going to stop watches and how high you can jump and all that kind of stuff, he's not going to win. Uh, but he is a great football player, and I think his versatility 
as he goes through his career. Now, he's playing great as a nickel. Uh, but if for some reason you had an influx of corners and you, you, you hit on some young players, uh, he allows you to get your best guys on the field because I think he could be a Pro Bowl free safety. I, I really do. So uh, he's going to be a valuable member of this Chargers defense for quite some time. Let's move to the Raiders, a team that's been struggling a little bit. Uh, I think it's no secret. They gave up eight sacks last week to the San Francisco 49ers. But, DJ, this is the NFL, man. And this Better is a show up every week. Yeah. You, you got to show up every week. And one of the things in Coach Lynn's uh, post-game speech that he said is, like, you guys do a great job of just – Move him to the next game, putting the last one behind you, looking at the one in front of you. And this is a divisional opponent, a chance to wrap up this this road trip, I guess, 4-0, going back to play the Denver Broncos. Yeah, you can't you can't afford to slip up. I know a lot of people have said, oh, you know, okay, the Chargers are 9-2. and You know, they're going to win their next three games. They're going to beat Oakland. And you've got home games against uh, against Denver and Arizona. When you look at these records on paper, the Chargers, you know, those are those are their games. Well, you, you can't operate like that. You can lose each and every week, and that's one of the things that's been impressive about this Charger team. Some people try to hit them on, well, they haven't beaten anybody. Well, you know what? There's there's so easy in this league to lose to inferior opponents. The Chargers haven't done that. They've handled their business uh, when they've played some downtrodden teams, and and. This, trust me, this is a divisional game. There's some pride involved with this Oakland team, as embarrassing no as their loss was no against doubt. San Francisco. I think you're going to see it. You're going to get a punch from the from the Oakland Raiders early in this game. Chargers going to have to withstand that, and then I think everything will settle down at that point in time. But trust me, they'll they'll come out ready to go. In this league, I mean, I, I think Buffalo, Minnesota, week three, week four. That's there the, you go. That's that, the that, biggest that, example you of yeah. you better show up each and every Sunday. This is the National Football League, man. No question. And uh, you know, look, it's it's it comes down to doing what they've done during this win streak, though. That's protect the football uh, offensively, make good decisions, um, and then defensively, we talk about playing great red zone defense, forcing field goals. Um, those have been some some key ingredients to this this winning streak that they're on. What's going to decide this one, DJ? I, I think the, the Raiders, obviously, we talked about their struggles, but I think the Chargers just got to play their game. Yeah, look, get the pass rush going. This is a this is a team you should be able to get healthy against with the pass rush, and you shouldn't have to devote a lot of bodies. You should be able to get home uh, with just your four. So, one of the things I'll be looking forward to is 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 seeing this. This to me can be a Melvin Ingram two and a half three sack type game. Mm. I think I think we'll be talking about him after this one. You know, Isaac Rochelle too three sacks in his last four games. He's come on as of late. I think he got his first sack of the season against the Oakland Raiders. And we've talked about with not having Joey Bosa in there. It's that grass-fed diet, man. It is. Yeah, there you go. It's, it's that diet that Isaac's been on. But not having Joey in there, guys have stepped up. Guys are getting really valuable reps as we get into November, December. Yeah, you know, that's the question I get asked all the time just on the national level is, is you know, when's Joey Bosa coming back? When's Joey Bosa coming back? First of all, I don't know. I have no idea when he's coming back. What, what I do know is that uh, his absence has been sort of a blessing for this group because they've got a lot of guys rolling through there. Uh, they're playing at a very high level, guys like Isaac Rochelle and Dan mean square uh, playing good football so um, complimenting what they have already with Melvin Ingram it's uh, they haven't just a lot of time to say okay we just try and survive without Joey Bosa they're not just surviving they're playing really good uh, and and Isaac Rochelle specifically watching how good he is with his hands um, he's a, he's an excellent technician and you've got to go to the coaching staff there as well give them a little credit yep. DJ thanks man thanks buddy all right, very pleased to be joined by Omar Ruiz of NFL Network. Omar, coming to the Hoke Performance Center this week. How are you, sir? Hey, good. It's good to be here. Good to have a little uh, home assignment for once. And, that's right. And uh, especially with the Chargers team that's rolling right along. Some impressive wins lately, so it's uh, good to be around this team, and, and I always appreciate a trip to Costa Mesa. No doubt about that. Well, 
the Chargers, winners of five straight, hoping to make it six against the Raiders. Uh, what did you learn about this team in, in the short few hours you were here, Omar? Well, it's a team full of confidence, you know, but they remain humbled. And I think the, the interesting observation I made is, is in the offseason, Anthony Lynn and, and the players did something that was very rare, I thought, in the NFL. Well, they talked about a season having carryover from one to the next. Mm-hmm. And this is a team that started off 0-4, as you know, last year, but they hung tough, didn't use the move as an excuse. They fought back to become contenders toward the end of the year last year, obviously came up short in getting to the playoffs, but they talked all offseason about maybe using that momentum and maintaining it going into this season. I think in, in talking to the players and, and coaches today is that the experiences of battling through adversity that they had last year, the, the culture that they set with that identity, they've been able to use on this crazy road trip, you know, 40-something games between between home dates mm. and uh, something that will continue this weekend in, in Oakland, obviously. But the fact that they've gone undefeated in this tough stretch and being on the road so much, I think, says a lot about their team. Obviously, they're talented, but, you know, that chemistry and cohesion and, and being able to battle through adversity are all the necessities that you have to have come January. And I think that's a team that, that has those uh, big games uh, for their long season aspirations and, and a thing that I think they've proven that they're capable of. You know, Omar, it does take a while when you have a new coach come in. It takes a while to build that culture. And you mentioned the 0-4 start. Since then, 15-5, and and the confidence, I think, has carried over. And you always like to look at a season independent. You know, mm-hmm. you don't yep. – there's usually no carryover from 2017 uh-huh. to 2018. But a lot of the same guys – and it starts with Phillip Rivers, yep. 19 touchdowns, just three interceptions, taking care of the football. Uh, what can you say about this offense through the first eight weeks? That's incredible. Whew. And I think, you know, it, whenever you have an offense, um, whether it's scheme, whether it's personnel, and, and you can argue that with this team it's both, that you have to defend every portion of the field mm. because they can stretch it uh, on both sides. You know, you have three big-time playmakers at receiver that are capable of, of going the distance. Um, Keenan obviously has the, the ability to catch and run. And then the Williams both can, you know, get down and, and complete those 40 something yarders when necessary. And that's not even to start talking about uh, Melvin Gordon, and Austin yeah. Eckler. So uh, when, when you factor in all the different weapons they have and potentially getting Hunter Henry back. We haven't even mentioned yeah, Hunter yeah, Henry, yeah. You know, and, and Antonio Gates is, is still there, a security blanket for Phillip Rivers when needed. Um, it's a dangerous offense, a scary offense if you're a defensive coordinator and, and one that I think is just barely now uh, because of the offensive line coming together as well as it has just now being able to see how good it can actually be. You know, Omar, they're winning in a variety of ways too. I go back to that game in London where they didn't have Melvin Gordon, that quick strike ability. We talked about Tyrell Williams and Mike Williams. Tyrell Williams, 75-yard touchdown in that game. Mike Williams, a 55-yard touchdown. They're so efficient with their touches, but when Melvin Gordon's in there, you can control the clock. Yep. You can milk the clock with big leads. Um, and, you know, next to Todd Gurley, I don't know who's playing better ball than Melvin, not only catching the ball out of the backfield, but rushing the ball. Yeah, I mean, that was a conversation I had with him a little earlier was that uh, – you know he's getting untouched, and this is one he of the really w- one of the bigger, stronger backs in the league. That if he's getting seven yards before he makes first contact, with all that momentum and speed and power that he runs with, he's hard enough to tackle. It's hard enough to tackle. I mean, he, and he's not afraid of tough yards. You know, he's he's not afraid of getting in there and, and mixing it up and getting dirty. But but when the offensive line is giving him those kind of holes, I mean, he, his face just lit up when talking about those opportunities. And then he's able to pick 
pick those gears up a couple and, and really stretch his legs and show how fast and powerful he can be. So it's really exciting to see Melvin Gordon perhaps playing some of the best ball that he's played in his NFL career. And I think it's a reflection of the offense and how well it's playing uh, together as a unit. The running backs, too. You, you look around the league and, you know, sometimes you got like a three down back. The fact that you have Austin Eckler, too. I mean, these are two guys who are threats in the passing game. I think that's that puts a lot of pressure on a defense, especially when you got those those six foot four Williams brothers, <laughs> and then Keenan Allen, who you know may not have the touchdown production this year, yeah. but I think he really made everything go in Seattle last week, starting with that twenty eight yard mm-hmm. rush, that jet sweep, um, but also having a hundred yard receiving day. You know, Keenan Allen continually one of the best route runners in this league. Well, you're going to have to pick your poison, and with Keenan Allen producing at the high level that he has over the years, he's going to draw attention. And it's up to the Williams, it's up to the running backs to, to continue to produce the way that they have. And they've been able to take advantage of some of those double teams and even triple teams that Keenan Allen uh, has faced. And, and I think as, as you see maybe some of the attention slide toward the backfield or maybe slide to the Williams on the outside, more opportunities down the stretch will present themselves for Keenan Allen. And he's obviously proven that he's capable of delivering uh, when, when he's been needed. But yeah, the, the fact that you have... Um, those three receivers who all can do a little bit different, but but also can also do some of the similar things that you can then slide them up in different locations on true. the field. Yep. Kind of stresses the defense even more. And then and then the one-two punch at running back, I think, is a reflection of how they were able to go to London, not have Melvin Gordon in the lineup, and still beat a very physical, uh, physically demanding team like the Tennessee Titans. Spinks volumes for what Eckler's provided for this team. Yeah, and you were just saying the Titans, they went into Dallas Monday night, coming off the bye, and took care of the Cowboys. And it's hard to believe, Omar, that we are at the halfway point. I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I really do feel like we, the Chargers were just playing the Chiefs in week one. Uh, through the midway point, you've been to a lot of NFL cities. Uh, what stood out to you in terms of how this league has gone through the first eight, nine games? Well, it's, it's uh, the offense. I mean, we've seen, you know, these record scoring touchdowns, record record number of points here in, in the first half, and, and all the rules that we've seen kind of come into favor for the offenses the last few years have really showed themselves uh, this year. And then, and then I think it for the teams that have struggled offensively, it's even more glaring mm-hmm. that they haven't been able to produce when you know, everybody else is producing off the charts and you have a team that, that struggles to put points on the board, it, it kind of stands out even more. So I think that's the sort of big takeaway, just how hurting some of these teams are um, and, and and how, you know, jubilant some of these guys that are putting up, you know, 30-plus points a game. Um, you know, an offense like the Chargers is how explosive they've been. You know what has stood out to me, too, uh, just piggybacking off of that, yeah, you got guys like Rivers and Breeze. I mean, these, those are two guys who were in the same quarterback's room in 2004. Yeah. Uh, probably top five in MVP candidates right now. Tom Brady, of course, Aaron Rodgers. Um, and then you see some of these rookies. What surprised me, Omar, is that some of the rookies have struggled a little bit more than I was expecting that they were going to struggle. When you talk about Darnold and Mayfield and Rosen and Allen, um, not to say that they're not going to be outstanding players in this league, but uh, with the way that this league is trending, it, it has surprised me a little bit that, that the rookie quarterbacks haven't kind of lit it up a little bit more. I think you're right, I, and I think that also goes to show you uh, how smart Kansas City was to sit Pat Mahomes for a year mm-hmm. to be able to learn the NFL game and learn how to be a professional. And, and it's not something that those rookie quarterbacks aren't learning on the job right now, but exactly. it sure is a whole lot tougher when you actually have to produce uh, and lead grown men while you're learning lessons yourself. Um, so I think oh, I'm hoping anyway for the, for the future of the game, for the development of quarterbacks, that people 
you know, start to take a page from Kansas City's book where they're able to sit him for a year. They had that discipline because you remember, you know, as good as Alex Smith was, you know, they, they had that frustration that, OK, maybe Smith can't throw downfield. And he did last year. He did. And yeah. they, they started to change this offense, knowing that it's going to be Patrick Mahomes a year from now. And, and Smith was able to deliver last year. And not every team has that luxury to have an Alex Smith kind of be a placeholder for, for a rookie. A and, and we're seeing that this year with, you know, as, as I think Buffalo, Cleveland, um, I think New York, it was an open competition and Arizona wanted Sam Bradford to play. I think there are places that wanted the veteran incumbent to hold that position down and and make sure that the rookie can sit on the sideline and learn. But it just doesn't work out that way a no. lot of the times. And so um, we've seen that. And, and so I'm with you. I am surprised that they all have struggled, but but like we've always seen playing the quarterback is one of the most difficult positions uh, to have in, in any sport and, and it's certainly showing itself in the first half of the year yeah and it's not an indictment on those rookies I just think it further proves the point that you got to be so mentally sharp mm-hmm. to play quarterback in this league, and and it's no it's no secret that you know a 38 year old Drew Brees, a 36 year old Philip Rivers, uh, Rogers approaching his mid 30s, those guys have been there, done that, they've seen everything, they know everything, <laughs> um, and it's just going to take younger quarterbacks a little bit more time, and, and you know having Alex Smith in your back pocket for if you're Patrick Mahomes yep. Yep. for an entire year, that that speaks volumes, and that's not even to mention the 41 year old. Tom Brady yeah. doing it the all. The greatest of all time. Yeah. Forgot to mention him. So, you know, I, I, mean, I, need, I think, you know, the, the more these guys hang around, the more um, they make plays, you know, the better we'll see them. Um, and t- talking about these rookies, you know, can they, but can they last 10 years? You know, can they weather these initial storms mm-hmm. to be able to be in a position like a Philip Rivers is, you know, here, you know, some 13, 14 years later and be able to produce? I mean, obviously they have, they have the physical gifts is why they're, picked in the first round but can they hang tough and show that mental fortitude that a lot of these guys have um you know the greats that you mentioned earlier in their careers to to be able to you know remember Aaron Rodgers the first year he played for Brett Favre like he wasn't great yeah they were yeah. like six and ten he had a lot of learning curves but boy did he learn and then apply those lessons starting year two and he's never looked back so you hope that these rookie QBs learn the same sort of lessons and then continue to produce later in their careers like these guys have and I don't know if it's if it's 2018 or social media but like how quickly we forget about Troy Aikman's first year Peyton Manning's <laughs> yeah, first year right. three and 13 uh-huh. one and 15 throwing all those interceptions um if that happens today you're like oh this guy can't play you know yeah. we were, i think a lot of people were quick to write off jared golf in year one you're right year two sean mcveigh comes in and it's a totally different guy so yeah that, that, that will be interesting to see how those quarterbacks develop omar we'll end on the afc just the overall landscape we talked about kansas city they're rolling right now they got weapons all over the place on offense yeah. uh new england is new england pittsburgh's in the mix obviously the chargers winner of five straight hoping to get to six uh if they could beat the raiders on sunday uh what do you see out of this afc i didn't even mention the texans yeah, who have yeah. won six in a row yeah. oh i love the afc and I, I tweeted something earlier in the week um that i can't wait for the afc playoffs because i think it's realistic uh to have the patriots chiefs chargers texans and steelers all capable of representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. Mm. I think it wouldn't be a surprise if any one of those, given that there's still eight games remaining and there's still a lot of football left to be played, yes. that, that would account for a lot of improving for some of these teams to continue to make. But both, all five of those teams have such tremendous talent. And you're not even talking about a team that has talent like the Ravens 
or the Bengals exactly. that maybe haven't put it together yet and could get hot down the stretch. Um, but but certainly the five that we just mentioned um, are going to be in that conversation. And obviously going to Arrowhead in January, going to Foxborough in January is a tough proposition um, for a team like the Chargers taking care of their own business, especially when you have uh, the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Cardinals coming up, a combined six wins. If they can get to 9-2 and two and put themselves to, to be able to get a home game in January, not have to go uh, to those imposing places would be helpful. But I think, you know, uh, when it's all said and done, it's going to be such a fascinating and competitive AFC where any one of those teams can catch fire and, and make a Super Bowl run. And the thing is with the Chargers, too, you, you look back winning on the road, you know, going to London, going to Cleveland, and – you look back, and that, that may be beneficial going into January, having to go potentially to a Foxborough, Kansas City, if you're fortunate enough to get in the playoffs. And I think that's that's another um, feather in the cap of these contenders in the AFC. You have the Chargers that started off 1-2 and two, um, and battled off and, and, and had this adverse situation, you know, 40-something days in between home games. You have the Steelers dealing with the Le'Veon Bell situation. You have the Texans start off 0-3. I think New England stumbled out the gate if they were 1-2, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and so all these teams not only are tremendously talented, but they also dealt you know, with something that they had to develop some sort of mental toughness that will show itself in January. And, 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 and I think that's another reason why I think it's going to be so exciting with the amount of talent that these teams have put together but also they have those intangibles and and I think it's going to lead to a high level football play. I don't think we're going to see any of these, you know, 6-3, you know, January <laughs> no. playoff game. It's no, going to be not, high quality football, a lot of plays being made and and I just can't wait for it um, you know, coming down the stretch here. It's going to be fascinating and uh, hopefully we'll see you more at the Hope Performance Center over the next couple of months. Omar Ruiz, NFL Network, can't thank you enough for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And yeah, I look forward to seeing you more often and and hopefully the Chargers can keep it up here. All right, we're going to close the show with Matt Harmon. But first, I want to tell you that the Los Angeles Chargers rely on Bose QC35 Headphones 2 to block out distractions and focus on what matters most. The same powerful noise-canceling technology helps you concentrate on your music, your work, maybe this podcast, or whatever you're passionate about. Learn more at Bose.com Chargers. Bose, the official headphones of the Los Angeles Chargers. Also want to tell you about a rare chance for you and a guest to join the Chargers on the field before kickoff. You get two tickets to a game and a special VIP meet and greet with our guys, NFL analysts Matt Money-Smith and Daniel Jeremiah. Enter for the chance to win the Backstage Chargers prize pack by going to chargers.com slash win for rules and details. No purchase necessary. It's open to Southern California area residents 18 and over. This ends January 10th, 2019. Again, go to chargers.com slash win for rules and details. All right, everyone's looking for fantasy advice, and my next guest is one of the best at dishing it out. Joining me on the line right now is Matt Harmon of Yahoo Sports. Harmon, we're in Week 10 fantasy playoffs right around the corner. How you doing, man? I mean, I'm good, Chris. It's always good to talk to you. And, yeah, Week 10, like, the fantasy season is pretty much halfway over, more than halfway over at this point. Like, we're really reaching into crunch time. And, I mean, it's it's great to see so many awesome games and everything. I'm really having fun this season. Well, we got four teams on a bye this week. Let's see, Houston, Baltimore, Denver, and Minnesota. So some big-time fantasy players in this. Um, let's get into some streaming options. Let's start at quarterback. Deshaun Watson, Kirk Cousins, probably the, the two you need a replacement for Sunday. Where are you looking? 
I mean, let's start off with like the story of week nine. It always stinks when these Thursday night games happen, and I feel like we just lose so much, uh, so much in between. But like Nick Mullins, I think if he's going to start for the 49ers, I think he's in contention as a player that you can play once again here in week ten. Obviously, he got the Cakewalk Raiders matchup last week, but he gets another one here against the Giants at home. Uh, the Giants are bottom three, along with those Oakland Raiders in sack rate this year. You know, they're not putting much pressure on the quarterback. And I think Nick Mullins, like, just the ability to the way he was used in Kyle Shanahan's offense, he had a 141 passer rating on play action throws last week. I think that continues to be a big staple of what they do in San Francisco. I think he's a player that uh, he's available, obviously, pretty much everywhere at this point. I think you could play him right away. Um, and then, like, kind of a bigger name guy who I think people are, are obviously. For, for good reason, pretty down on for most of his season. Marcus Mariota, he's available uh, in almost 30%, over 30%, or, excuse me, he's available in over 70% of Yahoo leagues right now. He's someone I think you can turn to once again this week. The two common themes of his big games in fantasy this year, not only did he play against an NFC East opponent in the Eagles and Cowboys, but both of those were games he saw 10 rush attempts and scored a rushing touchdown. I think he is going to have to take off and scramble a little bit against the Patriots uh, who have a slow man coverage defense. And I think we could see him get a little bit of good rushing work there. So those are two guys, you know, more on the higher on scale than the lesser on scale that he could turn to here in week 10. It's funny. I had Nick Mullins written down. I, I think it's fun. Why not put Nick Mullins in on a Monday night game against the Giants, right? Yeah, exactly. It was an awesome story to see him play last Thursday night. It was really great. I mean, he got a lot of different players involved. You know, Pierre Garçon had done pretty much nothing this year. Um, it was pretty quiet even in the games he played back in 2017, but he got Pierre Garçon involved. Obviously, I mean, George Kittle is like a stud at this point. He clearly got him going as well. All the playmakers showed up, and I think that's going to happen again against the Giants defense. Really, you know, this is a team obviously I'm not impressed with overall, but defensively they just have a ton of holes too. So I really like the way Nick Mullins played last week, and I just – I mean, the Kyle Shanahan system is proven to really churn out these productive quarterbacks. All right, a couple of the names. Andy Dalton against the Saints and Ryan Fitzpatrick against the Redskins. Do you like any of those matchups, Harmon? Yeah, I mean, Andy Dalton, the biggest concern is that he's going to be missing A.J. Green. That's right. And, you know, that is an issue. Uh, so while I think that Dalton is conceivably a quarterback streamer, I would set my expectations somewhere around the uh, like back half of QB one ranges. You know, if AJ Green was playing in this matchup, I think it clears the fifty four percent the fifty four projected total. I think it would go over that. I think Andy Dalton would be in a much better spot. But here, as he as we have him right now without Green, Dalton has consistently proven to be a guy who needs good players around him to produce. And like, it's going to be a ragtag receiving core. You know, with CJ Uzama at tight end. Uh, Tyler Boyd will be the lead receiver. He, he's a good player, but I don't know that he needs to be the guy carrying the passing attack alongside, sure. you know, John Ross, who's still unproven, and Josh Malone. And with Ryan Fitzpatrick, as you mentioned, like, look, I, I don't even know that I consider Ryan Fitzpatrick a streamer at this point. If he's starting, you're starting him because not only is this passing offense such a good environment to the point that, I mean, he had a good fantasy game last week and he didn't even play all that well. That's just how talented the skill position group is. Oh, and not to mention, he plays alongside objectively the worst defense in the NFL. So he's <laughs> very true. In passing situations, Fitzpatrick is a guy that if he is starting, I'm going to be starting him. So yeah, he, he's a, he's an obvious guy today. All 
All right, let's move to running back. And if you have guys on a bye, it's it's not the worst thing in the world. I guess Philip Lindsay, you got Collins, Dalvin Cook, who really hasn't played that much anyway. But you may need a flex. Who's out there that uh, that you're kind of feeling for Week Ten? Yeah, I mean, obviously this is a guy that I'm going to go back to the Tennessee Titans here, which I keep like touching the hot stove with this one <laughs> because <laughs> I was really in on the Titans offense coming into this year. Uh, that didn't start out so well. I was really interested in that once they had that big game against the Eagles, and it still really hasn't picked up. But Deion Lewis, I think, to me, is really starting to establish himself as Tennessee's clear lead back. We've seen him push 100 total yards in back-to-back games. Um, obviously, it's a revenge game here against New England. Oh, yeah, we love revenge 10. games. We do, we do love, you know, you know, you and I, Chris, working together back in NFL, we would love to yak about the revenge games. Whether it's, whether it's really true or not, uh, it is fun to talk about. Oh, yeah. So, but he's a, guy, he's a guy that's on rosters, you know, throughout leagues. Like, he's not somebody you're picking up and starting off the waiver wire, but he is somebody that I think people probably started to bench uh, as the year went on, but I think he's somebody you play here uh, in week 10, just because I really like this, you know, he's become a real passing game asset too, which is, a, which is right in line with his skill set, right in line with most fantasy owners projected. Um, and I think in a game where Tennessee is probably going to be in negative game script as six and a half point home uh, underdogs to new England, I think he's going to catch a few passes here. So he's somebody I would look to start in week 10. Yeah, the Chargers saw Deion Lewis up close and personal in London. He had a, he had a really good game against the Chargers, and uh, he, he looks to be a guy that you can count on uh, in the in the coming weeks, and it could start against the, the Patriots, his former team. Uh, a couple other names. Listen, Duke Johnson, can we expect that production from Duke Johnson moving forward? I, you know, I started him last week just with the, the thinking of, okay, no Hugh Jackson, no Todd Haley. Maybe Freddie Kitchens has something up his sleeve, and, and he, he certainly did with Duke Johnson last week. Yeah, I, it's definitely Duke Johnson week on fantasy Twitter. I feel like every analyst that I follow <laughs> some sort of routes run or target stat with, the, uh, with Duke Johnson. It's Duke Johnson look, week. I love it. Yeah, it is, man. And I haven't said this anywhere yet, So, but it's, I've been thinking, like, what if it was just a coincidence, you know? I, I think sometimes we, because football is so heavily influenced by these small sample sizes, and in this case, it's just one game. You know, Duke Johnson has a good game in the first Hugh Jackson-list, Todd Haley-list game for the Cleveland Browns. He has nine targets, leads the team. But what if that's just a coincidence? You know, that, I think that's certainly within the range of outcomes. If you look at his snaps, he played 46.7% of the snaps, which was kind of right in line with where we've seen him be throughout the season. In fact, there are two games this year where he played three games this year where he's played a higher percent of the snaps. So it, it, the, the usage in terms of when he's on the field didn't change all that much. It's just the fact that he got targets. Uh, when he was out there, which again, that could just be a coincidence or it could be a signal in the, ch- in the change of, g- of the game plan. The good news is, and why I don't think I've gone hard on this, you know, maybe it's just a coincidence take, is that the Browns do get the Falcons who lead the NFL for, I think, the fourth straight year in catches allowed to the running back position. Mm. So I think the good news with Duke Johnson is that you can play him again this week. And then maybe, you know, as trade deadlines come, you sell him to somebody who's really believing that this is the new normal for him because this matchup is so good that I think he could chase it one more week. And Hartman, flip it around, Ito Smith playing the Browns this week. Is Ito somebody you want to throw in at that flex position? Yeah, the, this was really the best run game performance by far uh, that Atlanta 
had this year against a pretty good run defense in Washington. You know, they have a lot of really talented players in that front seven. They had been allowing under four yards per carry to the running back position going into this game. But it was pretty exciting to see the Falcons, you know, rushing attack really break out. Um, Ito is a guy that I've been playing in one dynasty league all year since he started kind of emerging. Now, and that's not that's not so much to speak to, oh, wow, look at how smart I am. It's more like, oh, wow, look at how desperate I am at the running back position <laughs> in this one dynasty league. But just because this offense is so good and this game does have a reasonably high total at 50 and a half points, um, I think that you probably want to play a guy like Edo Smith if you have bye week troubles because you're really looking at him as, as a guy that's got red zone usage in a high-scoring offense in a potentially high-scoring game in Cleveland. So I think he's in consideration alongside with a guy like Mike Davis too. If Chris Carson's going to miss this upcoming game against uh, the LA Rams, even though we see, we probably will see Seattle be trailing most of this game in LA to the LA Rams, but you know, they're 10 and a half under 10 and a half point underdogs in this contest. But we saw Mike Davis get some passing game work last week. Um, for whatever reason, they seem insistent on just not playing Rashad Penny at all. So I think that you can play Mike Davis, maybe even still get him off waiver wires uh, across leagues. All right, while we're on the subject of running back, a couple questions from some listeners. Nigel wants to know about your confidence level in David Johnson. Cardinals coming off the bye, going to Kansas City. I mean, the good the good news with David Johnson is that you know the volume is going to be there. Uh, for the most part, he's been a guy who's pushed you know, 15, 18, 20 carries every single week. Um, I think that he has enough usage right now that you can feel confident in him being that RB2 type of player. Um, We saw him go out and push 100 total yards once again in week eight, uh, and that was in a game that was low scoring. It was close. It was the the Cardinals' second win of, of the season, but, you know, he's a guy that right now is just a floor play. I think with this Arizona Cardinals offense. Again, the good news is that the matchup is right here uh, in Week 10. I mentioned the Falcons allow a ton of production to pass-catching running backs. Uh, So did the Kansas City Chiefs. They're right up there among the league leaders in that department. And also they allow a a high yards per carry as well. So overall, I think you're looking at this as a good spot for David Johnson. You're playing him as a floor play every single week, but I think you can maybe – Expect a bit of a ceiling here. Maybe he even actually rushes for over 80 yards, which he's yet to do once this year. But uh, let's not get too picky here. That's amazing that he has not done that. And and a lot of people, I mean, this is your number one, number two, number three overall pick, and and he hasn't even cracked 80 yet? I I mean, it's unbelievable. Chris, like I wrote in preseason that I thought he he should be in the conversation for the number one pick overall because of – the volume and the receiving usage, but it's the receiving usage that's been the most puzzling. I mean, he's had more than four catches just once all year. That was back in week one. We know his average depth of target is way down from what it was when Bruce Arians was coaching the team. Now, we did see him go from four catches, uh, 41 receiving yards on four targets in the first game. Again, talk about maybe coaching coincidences, but it was the first game of Byron Leftwich's tender. Uh, by the way, isn't it wild that we're talking about like Byron Leftwich is not only an offensive coordinator, but like an offensive coordinator that we actually might be excited about? Like, yeah. What a, you know, <laughs> Listen, what a universe that we live in. I remember, I remember him at Marshall and then him getting carried across the field after throwing a bomb. You remember that play? Dude, I think, I think Byron Leftwich was like my backup quarterback in all of my fantasy Madden teams. You know, when you could like redraft <laughs> yes. the entire league. 
Because he wasn't accurate, but he could sling it and, like, kind of run a little bit, which was basically all you wanted out of, like, your backup quarterback in Madden back in, like, you know, the 2008-2009 type season. So, yeah, man, and now I'm like, man, I, I can I, – now this guy is, like, a coordinator that we're talking about, and, like, Bruce Arians thinks he's, like, the next great head coach in the NFL – uh, so it's wild, but getting back to David Johnson, hopefully we see some more positive receiving usage from him. You know, he's averaged over 10 yards per catch the last two weeks. Uh, I think against the Chiefs, you, you use him and maybe hope for a bit more of a ceiling than you've been getting so far. All right, I got another running back question. Nelson's got a quite the predicament here. Adrian Peterson or Leonard Fournette this week? Leonard Fournette, of course, has not played in a while. Adrian Peterson doesn't have an offensive line right now. Uh, what are we doing here? Yeah, this this is a rough spot, um, and, and not to mention, like I think Washington is kind of on upset alert. Actually, wouldn't even be an upset. Tampa Bay is actually a three point home favorite over Washington right now, which is pretty surprising considering where these teams these teams were just two to three weeks ago. Um, yeah, that that is a really interesting line, but I think you play Peterson only with the hope that you know what he's going to a look like and b what type of volume he's going to get. Um, with Leonard Fournette, there's just so many unknowns. I mean, it's very realistic that this backfield could just be split three ways. Uh, Jacksonville is getting three points in Indianapolis this week. Another thing we probably wouldn't have thought we'd be saying four or five weeks ago. Uh, but Jacksonville's just not playing all that well right now. Their offense isn't firing on all cylinders. And, and right now, Fournette is just a guy that I would much rather – you think I'd be comfortable sitting and him going off on my bench and then me being like, okay, great, now I know I can play him the rest of the way. But this week, I'd, I'd advise a little bit of caution to him. All right, quickly, we'll move to wide receiver. And this one's a big one because we're talking about Nuke Hopkins. We're talking about Adam Thielen, Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders. All those guys are out this week. Who do you like? Uh, you know, I've heard Josh Doxson because of Richardson. He's not there in Washington. They may have to put up some points. Uh, any other options you're liking there? Yeah, I mean, Josh Doxson's a little bit uh, – that, that's quite aggressive. It's pretty rich, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's Doxson, pretty rich. Yeah, Doxson's just not – he's played so poorly all year. Um, that would make me a little hesitant. Um, I think guys like uh, on the Bears, Anthony Miller, uh, Taylor Gabriel are players to consider. Allen Robinson is back to practice, which, I, of course, I think would – dig into the floor of those two players but they've been getting deep targets they've been getting looks down the field from Mitchell Trubisky I think you could probably use those type of guys uh as as bi-week fillers here I think that game is pretty interesting uh you know the Chicago Bears are welcoming the Detroit Lions the Detroit Lions are giving up a 7.2 touchdown rate to wide receivers they just haven't been giving up very many yards because of course they get gashed on the ground I mean, maybe it is a, a Tariq Cohen, Jordan Howard type game, but I think those players are, are ones you could throw out there. You know, and I, I really like Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You know, he's a player that right now I think is locked into a top three role in an Aaron Rodgers offense. And this is another offense that isn't firing on all cylinders. You know you're a, a great player when people are upset that you're only completing 60% of your passes if you're Aaron Rodgers. Um, so. I, but I like them against the Dolphins defense that's very, very up and down. So he's certainly someone you can use. Um, and, and lastly, I'll just point to well, this is a, I'll just point to Jordy Nelson too. Look, it didn't really come to fruition in Amari Cooper's first game gone. Obviously, the Raiders got smoked against the 49ers, but this game has a high total against the Chargers, 50 points. Uh, Raiders are 10 point underdogs. 
uh, in Oakland. That is, you know, a situation where there might be a lot of passing. It hasn't really come together for Nelson since Amari Cooper's been out, but at the same time, I think there are, he's a guy that you could maybe realistically throw into as a as a hail mary type play. And we can stay on the Chargers here real quick too, Harmon, because obviously you're starting Philip Rivers, you're starting Melvin Gordon, you're starting Keenan Allen this week. My question is with Tyrell and Mike Williams because. Listen, combined, they have 40 receptions, 10 touchdowns. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, the efficiency is there. Is it worth putting them in your lineups this week? Is a, is a wide receiver three? Granted, that they may not be getting a ton of receptions, but when they do get them, uh, they're pretty effective with them. Yeah, well, look, I mean, number one, it's, you're going to want to play these guys because the Raiders are so bad. You know, they, they uh, give up a high yards per attempt. They're really bad at defending deep passes because they have a slow secondary and they don't have any pass rush to speak of. I mean, who could have seen that coming uh, when you trade <laughs> away your best pass rusher uh, in the middle of the preseason? Both these guys are, and Mike Williams and Tyrell Williams are big play specialists. Uh, 18.8 yards per catch for Mike Williams. Tyrell Williams, 20.5 yards per catch. I mean, and as you mentioned, they're split in five touchdowns apiece. And these two guys, especially Tyrell Williams, have been big recipients on these play-action plays from Phillip Rivers. Chris, Phillip Rivers has a perfect pass rating on play-action passes this year, 158.3. Unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Obviously leads the league. Number two, obviously with fewer games played, is, of course, Nick Mullins, the other Hall of Famer. But uh, we're sticking on Phillip Rivers. <laughs> the here. other gold jacket. We've, we've seen – yeah, we've seen – so many big plays come off of uh, play-action fakes, and a lot of them have been to Tyrell Williams down the field. So, yeah, I think that if you are in need of a, a streaming wide receiver this week, I think you can certainly look at a player like Tyrell Williams and Mike Williams. I prefer Tyrell just just a little bit, but both of these guys are super volatile because the vo- there's just not a ton of volume there. All right, Harmon, finally, tight end and defense. Tight end, listen, unless you have Kelsey – and maybe a couple others, you may be streaming this position yeah. every single week. Uh, who do you like this week? Uh, who are some matchups you like, not only a tight end, but also maybe a streaming defense? Yeah, I mean, defenses are, are a little bit easier this week. There's there's not, not a ton of great options, but I think you can look at the Packers, who have a really high sack rate. Um, they're obviously going to be welcoming you know, the Brock Lobster here uh, in Green Bay. Uh, I'm obviously not a believer in that situation. Yeah, they could certainly force Brock into a fair bit of mistakes. The number one target, I think, for everybody is, of course, going to be the New York Jets welcoming the Buffalo Bills. I mean, I don't remember an offense since I've been playing fantasy football, certainly not much less, you know, just analyzing the game, where you're just hammering the oppo- this opposing offense like you are with the Buffalo Bills every single week. Every single week, you're, you're, you're playing whoever is going up defensively against this team. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I think they're going to be the pie in the sky. Two super deep sleepers uh, at defense, I think, are the Eagles on Sunday Night Football uh, against the Dallas Cowboys because the Eagles do personnel-wise have a pretty good pass rush. I think this will be a low-scoring game. Um, I think that they could force Dak Prescott into a few mistakes. And they've been a disappointing fantasy defense, so they might have been dropped at a few spots. And also Tampa Bay, we mentioned Washington – has all of these offensive line injuries. You know, if you're playing DFS and you're looking to like go super cheap at the position, you know, there there's somebody that you could look at. There there's somebody that is is going to be super cheap and might be able to just get a few sacks, 
force Alex Smith into a fumble or an interception or something. And we know this Washington offense is not going to put a ton of points on the board. So there are some deep sleeper options at defense. At tight end, I mean, it really is a hold your nose and just dive in sort of position right now. DJ Uzama has been a guy who's been very disappointing, of course. Uh, You know, he at one point put up a zero. Like, that's not what you're looking for out of the position. Uh, But he's running a lot of routes. He's playing a high snap rate. And, of course, we know that A.J. Green is now out of the offense. That's going to open up a ton of targets here. It's going to open up a ton of air yards. I think some of that could go to C.J. Uzama in a good matchup against the New Orleans Saints. So he's somebody that is a streaming tight end. He's not lived up to the hype, but you might be able to grab him here and throw him out. Um, And and then otherwise, I mean, the tight end market does get pretty rough, but Nick Manette might be a super deep sleeper at the position. You know, he caught a garbage time touchdown last week, but with Will Disley out, uh, Nick Manette is the clear top tight end in Seattle. And the Rams have just been giving up a ton of points in production in the secondary. And and with this being a high-scoring game, I think you can chase Another potential score here with Nick Bennett. There you go. Matt Harmon, Yahoo Sports. If you needed advice, you just got it. Harmon, where can people listen to you, read you? Yeah, please. Uh, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Uh, all my written work will go there. Um, and check out the halftime show, Halftime with Harmon. If you use the hashtag on Twitter on Sundays, you'll be able to find it. It's at uh, 2.30 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Eastern time, right in the middle of your half. It's a better alternative halftime programming than just, uh, you know, watching some guys in suits blabber at you on the TV because we're going to interact. We're going to talk to you. We're going to take your questions on Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, uh, Twitch, YouTube, whatever. Um, we're actually going to be on the road two Sundays from now. Oh, week nice. 11, we will be in New Orleans broadcasting live from there. So that should oh. be a lot of fun. So if you're in the New Orleans area for whatever reason, you're listening. Come check us out. Matt Harmon in New Orleans, in the Big Easy. I love it, man. Well, hey, I'll be watching halftime with Harmon. Let's just hope I come back, Chris. Let's just, let's just hope I come back. Just be careful down there. Be careful on Bourbon Street. <laughs> <laughs> Always appreciate your time, bud. All right, man. And that'll do it. A big thanks to Matt Harmon, Omar Ruiz, Daniel Jeremiah, and Steve Palazzolo for joining me. And as always, thanks to you all for listening. You can find Chargers Weekly in our new Backstage Chargers podcast on Apple Podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. Help spread the word. Enjoy the game this Sunday as the Chargers look to go 7-2 in Oakland. Until next time, I'm Chris Harey.